Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. Our lesson this week is a lesson on law and grace, and this is the 98th lesson in a series of lessons on the Theological Seminar of the Air, which you've been listening to on this station for nearly two years. We have, after this broadcast that you'll hear today, we have six more broadcasts. Well, actually, yes, six more broadcasts after today, six more weeks, and this will conclude the series of lessons on the Theological Seminar of the Air. I don't know whether you realize how the time has fled by or not, but if you've been listening to the Theological Seminar of the Air, you are now approaching uh, nearly two years of broadcast time, and with the completion of our next six weeks, we will have completed a solid 104 consecutive weeks on the Theological Seminar of the Air, 52 weeks in the first year, 52 weeks in the second year, dealing 30 minutes at a time with every major doctrine in the Word of God. If you've been listening to this broadcast throughout the last two years, and we are nearing the end of the second year's time of broadcasting with this tape, being a broadcast number 98, you have received lessons on theology about the existence of God, the person of God, the Trinity, the names, and the fatherhood of God, and the fear of the Lord, lessons on Christology that dealt with the prophecies in the life of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the deity of Christ, the relationship of the Son to the Father, <clears throat> the humanity of Christ, the sinless of Christ, the character, teachings, commands, and miracles of Christ, lessons on the soteriology that dealt with the death and resurrection ascension of Christ, lessons on eschatology that dealt with the second coming of Christ and the results of his return. You've heard lessons on pneumatology, giving you the material and the personality of the Holy Spirit, the deity names and work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit-filled life, and the fruits and gifts of the Spirit. And you've received lessons on bibliology, and on anthropology, and on ecclesiology, and on demonology. Lessons about angels, Satan, demonology, the fall of man, evolution, the creation story, and on the great doctrines of soteriology, adoption, remission, regeneration, justification, sanctification, the new birth, repentance, and so forth and so on. For the last 20 or 30 broadcasts, we've been dealing with practical subjects. On today's broadcast, we take up the matter of law and grace. <clears throat> that is the truth of the Christian standing and his state before God in this present dispensation. There are many Christians who are saved by grace, but try to keep saved by obeying the law or keeping the commandments. The two errors that uh, appear in the Bible in law and grace occur in Acts 15. That's why all unsaved heretics and all Campbellite elders die in Acts 2.38. They will not face the truth that progressive revelation of the Bible brings us to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, in the first eight verses, the two main heresies for this age are brought forward by the grace-rejecting sacramentalists of that day. If you read Acts chapter 15, verse 1 to 8 carefully, you'll find the question comes up, number one, what does a man have to do to get saved? Number two, does he have to do anything to stay saved? Now, read it carefully, and notice that that question is settled at the Council of Jerusalem way back there, all around 40 A.D., by the apostles and the elders, and they pass a final decree on it, that a man is saved by grace through faith without water baptism or laying on of hands or keeping the law or getting circumcised. That's the conclusion of the group. And that's why all heretics preach Acts 2 instead of Acts 15. Acts 15 settles the matter once and for all on how a man is saved, what he has to do to stay saved. He is saved by grace through faith, and he's kept by grace. 
the heir of legalism or salvation by works was the heir of the Galatian church, which Paul sought to correct in his epistle to the Galatians. And he said in Galatians 3, 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that is, saved by grace, are you now made perfect by the flesh, that is, by works? He answered this question in Galatians 3.11 by saying that just shall live by faith. You're saved by faith, you live by faith, and you're saved without law-keeping, and you live without law-keeping. Now, once you say that, <clears throat> the self-righteous, unsaved elders and apostate uh, Christians of the day will say, well, then you mean to tell me that when a Christian is saved, he can do anything he wants to do? You see, they'll not accept the truth. They will question the truth. Uh, Satan said, Yea, hath God said, having given the, been given the great truth, the doctrines of eternal security and salvation by grace from Roman Galatians, instead of accepting these truths, the Christian who is counting on his works to save him, or the unsaved elder, will immediately question what God said. That is, the old unregenerate nature of the saved man is not a great deal different than the unsaved man himself. The self-righteous nature in the man saved or lost seeks to justify himself by works. So once the great and grand and glorious doctrines of eternal security are expounded in the Pauline epistles by grace through faith, they are immediately questioned by every unsaved, hell-bound sinner who is teaching the Bible and trying to ban his flock by Scripture. He immediately brings up the question, does this allow us to become a law to ourselves and break the law of God and sin willfully? This question is answered in Romans 6, 1 to 2. God forbid. God forbid. Paul wasn't against good works. Paul said in Philippians 2, 12, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But he was careful to tell you that it was God that worked in you both the will and do of his good pleasure. The Savior works through us. Our work is to yield. We're not saved by works or kept by works. We work because we're saved. A dog barks because he's a dog. A dog doesn't bark in order to become a dog. As after conversion, we do good works because we are saved already, not in order to be saved. Now, the favorite passage of the hell-bound sinner trying to go to hell by quoting the Bible is James 2. Every unsaved priest, bishop, elder, and preacher in America's favorite verse in the Bible is James 2, because this intimates or suggests that a man can be justified by works. When the unsaved man goes to James 2, he gets a scriptural alibi to damn his soul and damn his congregation. That is, sometimes scripture is just good a way to get to hell as any other way. Nothing will get you to hell any quicker than religion. And nothing is more satanic than a scripture-quoting religionist who is on his way to hell. Now observe that the unsaved, self-righteous man who quotes James 2, number one, doesn't tell you the verse was talking about Abraham, not you. Number two, the illustration of Rahab in the Old Testament under the law, not you. The illustration was talking about a man's works before men, not before God, and that James 2 was written to the twelve tribes of Israel, not the body of Christ. Now, did you get that? And if you didn't get it, why didn't you get it? You have a Bible. You can read it. James 1.1 is not written to the body of Christ except in the corrupt living Bible, which altered the verse so that it read as it reads in no Greek manuscript known to God or man. James was written to the twelve tribes of Israel, 
It certainly wasn't written to a born-again Christian. That is, that is what James said about the letter he wrote, James 1.1. And that is why every unsaved man going to hell likes to quote James. Because James laid the emphasis on works because he's writing to 12 tribes, and the 12 tribes he's writing to quite naturally have in them thousands of Jews who are unsaved and are still under the law and can't understand the relation of the law to grace and works to grace. So James gives them an illustration of Abraham, who was saved by believing what God said by grace through faith, Genesis 15, but wasn't justified before man until he offered up his son Isaac. Seven chapters later, and this is why unsaved people like James too. It's just why the same reason a drunkard likes a bottle, it helps damn him. Now, what is the law? The law includes the Ten Commandments and all other commandments. You'll often find the word law written in regards to the entire Old Testament, sometimes the first five books of Moses, sometimes just the Ten and the Tablets. But it includes in the Bible where it's quoted anything that shows up before Christ. Paul says the law is holy, the commandment holy, they're just, they're good. David said, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right. The command of the Lord is pure. Thus we see that the law is holy, just, good, perfect, pure, and right, even when we can't keep it. Grace, however, is something entirely different. Grace is unmerited favor. The kindness and love of God our Savior toward us. Under law, God demands righteousness. Under grace, God gives righteousness. Now, it is absolutely essential that you understand that, because if you don't understand it, it means you're lost. Paul said, they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, James 2, have not submitted themselves the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth, Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. The man who doesn't understand that righteousness is a free gift that God gives to a sinner who trusts his son is an unsaved man. Because it means that man is counting on his own righteousness in some part to get him to heaven. And that's the kind of man whom the Lord said in Matthew 7, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. And the self-righteous rascal answered and said, Why, Lord, we did what we did in your name. We even had the charismatic gifts. We cast out devils and did many wonderful works in your name. And he'll say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never even knew you. Now, that's why the people who are always counting on works to save them are always doubting their salvation. And that's why the people who are always quoting James 2 to get to heaven never know where they're going when they die. They have rejected God's righteousness for their own righteousness. And this self-righteousness, of course, is what damns a man. That's what sends him to hell, putting his righteousness against God's righteousness. And it's a trick and snare of the devil and a very subtle thing, but a very common thing, for the devil to teach a man in Scripture in order to damn him. It's a very common thing. For the devil to sit a man, man down at the Bible and get him into the Sermon of the Mount in Acts 2.38 and poke the fellow and tell him you can be saved by that if you do this and that and this and that and this and that. And that's how Satan damns a man to hell with Scripture. He just gives him the wrong Scripture the Scripture that appeals to his unregenerate, self-righteous nature. 
Ephesians 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now look at further contrast. The law says, Obey me and live. Grace says, Whoever hears and believes in Jesus Christ shall live. The law says in Leviticus 18:5, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. Romans 10:5 confirms this and corroborates it by saying, The man which doeth those things in the law shall live by them. The problem is this. Who can keep the law perfectly? And the answer is perfectly clear. Nobody can. Only Jesus Christ could fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. Moses couldn't fulfill the law. He lost his temper and murdered a man. Lost his temper and smote the rock and disobeyed God. Daniel couldn't keep the law. He let a king worship him and offer incense to him. David couldn't keep the law. He committed adultery and murder. Hezekiah couldn't keep the law. He joined affinity with Ahab. You see? I mean, Jehoshaphat. He joined affinity with Ahab. Hezekiah couldn't keep it either. He showed all his good to the Babylonian king and put the land in jeopardy. There is one man who can keep the entire Old Testament law intact, ceremonial and moral, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I was on a CB the other day and preaching down the road and some CB around Texas on the CB said, Yeah, well, guess if you read the Bible, don't forget, you better live it. That's the typical answer of the unregenerate sinner. And I flipped that bird back and said, Good buddy, you don't live it, and your mother doesn't live it, and your preacher sure doesn't live it. The only person that ever lived it was the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, Breaker 19 sure got quiet. The idea these hell-bound sinners telling us we got to live it. Why, you depraved rascal, you? What do you know about living it? You never met a man that lived it in your life. And if you think you did, you deceive yourself. There is none righteous. No, not one. Every man at his best state is altogether vanity. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Did you ever read those verses? How'd you miss them? Unless your self-righteous nature was guiding you to the verses that appealed to your old flesh. Now, grace says, whoever hears and believes in Jesus Christ has passed from death to life. John 5, 24, a miracle that the law could never perform. Grace offers pardon and peace to the sinner through the death of another. Grace says that those who receive eternal life will never perish. John 10, 28, what do you know about grace? Further contrast. The law condemns every individual ever born into this world, for all have broken at least one commandment on one occasion. James said, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. To the contrary, grace is willing and ready to save the lost, the guilty, the lawbreaker. Grace brings salvation. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Titus 2.11 Romans 3.19 The law makes the whole world guilty before God. The law speaks so that every mouth, quote, may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. The law sets up a standard, and people are helpless to keep it. To the contrary, grace restores righteousness that the law took from us. Grace is God's 
riches at Christ's expense in favor of the guilty sinner. Grace not only saved the sinner, but more grace is added daily to sustain him. The Bible says, The law cursed is everyone that continueth not know things which written in the book of the law to do them. The law could never justify a guilty sinner. The law could not make anything perfect. To get to heaven, the sinner needs to be both justified and made perfect. This can only be done through the blood of Jesus Christ and the atoning work of the cross. Grace through faith can bring justification to the sinner. Romans 3.24, quote, Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace can teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly, and to pay attention to good works, Titus 2.11 and 12. But grace doesn't save us by works and doesn't keep us by works. Grace saves us and keeps us by grace. Acts 13.39, By Him, Jesus Christ, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses, for the law made nothing perfect. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. Now the response of the unsaved Campbellite elders of this is, what about, and then bring up some verses that contradict it. There is no way to cure the unsaved religious leader who is blindly leading the blind into a ditch because his unregenerate nature is in control of his religion, that his, his self-righteous attempts to justify himself are the determining factor in what he preaches. So when we talk about this thing, the unregenerate sinner will simply run to Hebrews or James or Matthew and try to prove that a Christian can lose it, which is rather stupid in view of the fact that James wasn't written to the Christian, it was written to the twelve tribes of Israel, and rather stupid in the view of the fact that there are no Christians in the Bible till Acts 11.26. But who can cure a fool in his folly? Though you blame him with a pestle, yet his foolishness will not depart from him. The trick of the unregenerate preacher is how to destroy his congregation by quoting Scripture. Well, the devil will guide you, and he'll lead you. These passages are clear. These pastors show that what the law couldn't do, grace does. Where a man couldn't keep the law, Christ kept it. Where a man couldn't earn salvation, God gave it. Where a man couldn't justify himself, God justified him for himself. All of this is clear. Now, you start messing around trying to apply the Sermon on the Mount to a Christian, you get in some deep water, son. Now, when you start taking a tribulation epistle like the book of Hebrews and trying to teach it doctrine to a child of God in the church age, you get into some thick clouds. But Romans and Galatians are clear. The redeemed sinner is justified and declared righteous by God Almighty and has the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to him. Or as David said, quoted by Paul in the New Testament, Blessed is the man unto whom God will not impute sin. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not through yet. The law was given to show us our transgression, not to save us. Galatians 3.19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Without law, man would have no knowledge of sin. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. This explains, of course, what happens to unborn babies that die. 
or the dying childbirth. This explains, of course, the situation of children before the age of accountability. This explains what happens to morons and imbeciles and water brains and mongoloid children and irresponsible children. Until there's a knowledge of the law, there's no knowledge of sin. Therefore, sin is not imputed where there is no law. That is, the Bible handles all problems that people profess to have, and they profess to have these problems so they can work them out themselves and ignore what God said. You don't have to sprinkle an unborn baby. Or worry about that kid going to limbo. Nonsense. Sin is not imputed where there's no law. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. It's amazing what a terrible time 20th century man has with Romans 4 and 5 in a dime store Bible. Must be a dollar bill in it somewhere. I learned that in 46 months in the infantry. I learned if it doesn't make any sense, there's a buck in it. The law was not a means of salvation, but a schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Justified by faith, not works. Justified by faith, for we cannot be saved by works. Grace was given to man, not because man merited it, but because God loved the world of sinners and gave, 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 gave. Grace is given to us, for we are too weak in ourselves to keep saved, to keep the law, or to do good works. The Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. This is grace. Grace is given to us because we're weak. Do you understand this? The old song says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Can you imagine any more ludicrous or stupid than a man repenting, believing, confessing, and being baptized, and then worrying about where he's going when he dies? and having the gall, the unmitigated brass to stand up in the church and saying, How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed? Why, if you don't know where you're going when you die, you shut your mouth about amazing grace. You know nothing about it. Amazing grace has a sweet sound that saved the wretch like me, past tense. I'm saved. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. We people who are saved by grace don't worry about where we're going when we die. Why, you hypocrites out there singing amazing grace that don't know where you're going when you die, aren't you ashamed of yourself getting up in church and lying like that? Imagine calling that place you meet in the house of God and getting up and singing a lie like that. Imagine that standing there teaching yourself, say, by repenting, confessing, believing, being baptized, and holding out to the end, and singing that when you believe, your fears will relieve, and you're saved. Why, you don't believe what you're saying, you old hypocrites. You ought to shut your mouth. Now, who gives these things? The law was given by Moses. John 1, 17. Exodus 20, 19. Grace was given by Jesus Christ. John 1, 17. Is Bible salvation the mixed system then of law and grace? No, it's all of faith. Paul says in Romans 4, verse 4 to 5, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, to him that worketh not, but to him that worketh not, 
but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And that's why every unsaved preacher listening to my voice goes to James 2 instead of Romans 4. Because in James 2 he can find an alibi to damn his soul and go to hell, counting in his own righteousness. In Romans 4, he's not left three inches. He is told that his works cannot justify him, and if he counts on them, his faith is not counted for righteousness. Is the believer under law after conversion? Of course not. Romans 6.14 says, You are not under the law, but under grace. No scripture could be any plainer. How ought a true believer to walk before his fellow man? Well, that's clear. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. We're not to use our liberty in Christ as license. The fact that we're saved by grace through faith doesn't mean we should continue in sin. God forbid. We born again to save people have never taught that because a man is saved by grace through faith, that he can do what he wants to after he's saved. To the contrary, we have taught from the very start that he is not his own. He is bought with a price. He's a bond servant knocked down the block, and his life is no longer his own. It's been paid for by a master. And that's why Paul used to refer to himself not merely as an apostle, but as a servant of Jesus Christ. These slanderous, blasphemous, self-righteous, hell-bound preachers who try to accuse we grace preachers of being licentious or disobeying the law are doing that because they've sinned against God and blasphemed the Word of God. We say people have never taught that one minute after you were saved you could ever do what you wanted to do again. After you are saved, your life is Jesus Christ. Set your affections on things above and not on things on this earth. We have taught when a man gets saved, if he isn't careful of how he lives, he can lose his testimony, he can lose his character, he can lose his assurance of salvation, he can lose his joy, he can lose his money, he can lose his health, he can lose his rewards, and he can lose his life. God forbid that we should ever be guilty of the slanderous charges made against us that we teach when a man is once saved he can live like he wants to live and do what he wants to do. That's slander. And God will hold some of you rascals accountable for it. A Christian can't lose his soul, but he can lose everything else. Those who are in Jesus Christ, while not saved or kept by the law, love the will of God and do from the heart those things which please Him, not for salvation, not to keep salvation, but for love's sake, as they walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.18 says, If you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. To be saved by faith and then to return to works is said to be the fall at the fall from grace in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. And, of course, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, the man wasn't really saved because he was counting on the law to justify him. The man who is counting on his works to save him is said to be fallen from grace. Galatians 5, 4. Never is the expression fallen from grace ever used in application to a man who has been saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 4 refers to a man who is counting on the works of the law to save him, keeping the Ten Commandments, and he is, according to the Word of God, fallen from grace. He came up to it and rejected it and fell away from it. And, of course, knows nothing about it. Grace is not works and works is not grace. Otherwise, grace is no more grace and works are no more works. This completes our lesson on the study of law and grace in the life of a believer. 
Next week at this same time, we'll study what the Bible says about the judgments of God.